That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jakey, Jakey, Jakey. You're the man. If you can't do it, nobody can. My, uh, actually, my one of uh, our electricians, Monty of Albania, always says that to me. A church electrician? <laughs> what a cool role. Well, he's like our one of our he's like one of our head sextons. So, sexton for those of you in the non-episcopal world, all our Baptist and non-denominational friends, is the episcopal word for guy who fixes everything and uh, cleans things up and sets up chairs and takes them down after events. So, sexton is just a shorter word for all those things. That's right. So we combine it all. He's had yeah, buildings right. and grounds. There's so. a Simpsons episode where. First Christian Church of Springfield gets a new, Springfield gets a new pastor, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like this young kind of assistant pastor guy. And he meets with Homer in a bar and says, "I'd like to make you, you know, some role in a church." And he's like, <gasps> "Like so, nothing weird, like a deacon or a sexton or a rector, right?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, no, no." Anyways, always we making do, fun of the Episcopalians on the Simpsons. We we do have uh, fancy names for a lot of things, so you know, it's yep. not just a lobby; it's a narthex. Not and a, it's not a sanctuary, it's a nave. The sanctuary is mm-hmm. a part up by the altar. That's a hill on That's which right. we will die. Uh-huh. And that actual place is called the chancel. So That's anyway, right. <laughs> and it's not a just a it's not a just a changing room, it's a it's a vestry. So um And it's not just a little kitchen next to the church, it's a sacristy. All right, listeners, wait, 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 don't go. We're going to get to the Bible, I promise. We're going to talk about the And what do you call the sink that just goes right into the ground? It's not just a sink that goes right into the ground. What is it? Jake, that's a great question. That's called a piscina. (laughs) We're not making this up, people. This is 100% real. And it's not just a a little bowl that you wash your hands in. What is it? Oh, that's a lavabo. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. I win. I passed the test. Oh, is that Love a is it. that a walkway? No, it's a cloister. <laughs> it's all so true. Excuse me while I put on my cassock. <laughs> Excuse me while I slip into my Would you please step to the cassock? podium? I think you mean lectern. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Boy, it's uh, okay. chilly. I, it's chilly outside. I think I'll don a cope. So. Yes, that's right. All right. Well, let's let's take the tippets off, people, and really yeah. get into the scriptures for Sunday, October. 11th. Do you mean that scarf? Uh, no, Jake. I said tippet. Gosh darn it. Okay. Uh, all right. Fine. Okay. So, and we'd even get to albs and. I know. I I refuse to wear albs. Um, I think they look like pajamas. So anyway. (laughs) Now now everybody knows. Okay. (laughs) Dear graduates in Shota House, stick with us. We're looking... (laughs) Jake, pull it together. 
All right, this is the kind of witty banter that you only get on same old song, and there's a reason you can't get anywhere else. That's All right, right, October 11th, which is the 19th, sorry, 20th Sunday after Pentecost, uh, and 19th Sunday after Pentecost, make sure I get that right, episode 103, and we're still in Exodus. The Israelites just still can't get it together. They've seen, like, a ton of miracles, and yet they have not rehabilitated themselves. <laughs> And then we move into St. Paul, still in jail, writing to the church in Philippi and giving us some many memory verses, in, uh, but also some church conflict. And then finally, we end with uh, Jesus of Nazareth giving us another wonderful, spicy parable involving a wedding reception and the funky chicken. Mm, that's crazy. The funky chicken. Let's get into it. Okay. Let's do it, everybody. So we begin with this reading from Exodus 32. The, yeah, th- uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I, th- I think it's really important because, you know, you can, it can be, if you just take this out of its context, uh, it can be like, well, well God's so grouchy and does he change his mind right here? And right. what's happening here? And, you know, this can be a very confusing text. If you don't understand kind of a, the theology of covenant here and how God actually operates, and he is a God who operates through covenants. And so before Moses, uh, like he's delayed, he's been up on the mountain for a while. And you remember on those mountains we talked about last week, there is smoke, there's fire, there's thundering. And, um, you know, he came down with the law and then he went back up. But before he went back up, he made a covenant with the people. Now, most of the covenants, all of the covenants, except for this one in the Old Testament, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, um, all of these covenants, the Davidic, they're all one way. The catalytic. The catalytic covenant, you know, um, but um, they're all one way. God to us, God to Abraham, God to David. Uh, but this particular covenant is a two-way street, and you can read about it in um, Exodus 24. And what happens is, is that basically the animals are cut in two and the blood is put in a basin, and the people of Israel boldly say, all that God has commanded we will most certainly do. And Moses takes the blood and he throws it on all the people. AKA, uh, what happened to these animals is going to happen to you if um, you break this. Now, what is it? You shall not have any idols. You shall not make any graven images. Uh, That's that's part of the covenant. And immediately Moses is delayed and the people panic and they start taking things into their own hands. I kind of view that uh, covenant... Well, I view that covenant sort of like a multi-level marketing uh, annual convention. And they're like, yes, we can sell a thousand candles to our relatives. <laughs> we'll get all our friends to do it, too. And so. they're like, well, but remember, if you can't do it, you're still on the hook for all this stuff. They're like, yep. yeah, it's okay. We can do it. We're inspired. <laughs> Where do we do the coal walking? So yeah. I'll buy $20,000 worth of knives right now on credit. <laughs> so... What could go wrong? <laughs> Bad idea, jeans. So, Exodus 32, we see the people, you just say, take matters into their own hands. They're waiting, and they decide, that with the help of Aaron, I always cringe a little bit at my namesake. Poor Aaron. Sort of poorly in this I, I would never name my child Aaron. I know, <laughs> for this story alone. And so Aaron goes up there, and uh, he says, all right, it, you know, he, he's, he's clearly a pastor that just does whatever the congregation wants, despite We've the fact that We've all been there. They're just, yes, yes, we have. There's 10 commandments, and they're like, 
Okay, it says no other gods, but, you know, Yahweh. Okay, we got that. But number two, that's... I mean, that, why you know, can't we build is, a labyrinth? Yeah, Come let's on, do Aaron. Let's build right. a labyrinth right in the middle of the sanctuary, and we'll have yoga there. Why not? A church in the round with an altar in the middle of a circle <laughs> post-Vatican II. It's all good. Anyways, so we like to build things the way we like them. And the, the way that every other culture, except for the Israelites, worshipped their deities was always with an idol. Mm-hmm. A, a physical representation of the divine being. And you would make it pretty, and you would make it big, and you'd come and you'd offer things to it, and uh, kind of had this talismanic quality. And so that's how you worshipped a deity. And the Israelites were like, we were in Egypt, and they had all these deities, and they had really cool statues for them. So why can't we have one, too, for our deity? So it, it's important to note that they didn't think that they were worshipping a different god. They were still worshipping Yahweh, oh. but just doing it in this way that they'd been expressly told not to. For sure, and they brought their very best out for it. All the gold right. rings, I mean, even the men's earrings, they yep. all went Taking into off their grills. Uh, the very, very best went into this. And so, and this shows us a little something before the law, um, our very, very best um, when it comes to trying to please God, <whistles> falls up yep. short every That's time. All, and I mean, there, there's... This is a picture of the human race quite clearly, and it shows yes, the failure of the law to bring about that which it demands. So these, mm. the Ten Commandments are fresh. Like, they have just been chiseled. They have seen, like, it, like the, the ink's not even dry, and they, have, they ate manna for breakfast that day. You, dear listener, are like, what have I And that rock is still following them around, spitting out water everywhere. Water. And they're like, still, but, you know... So if you, listener, feel like you haven't seen God show up in your life recently, and if he did, maybe then you would be more faithful and more obedient, mm. and you know. but you got these doubts because you just haven't seen God do much lately. Let me tell you, even if you see God do a lot of stuff in your life, quite obviously, <laughs> there is no guarantee. It doesn't, you don't graduate from your humanity, as they say in, in AA. And the mountain that they're at is like t- totally on fire and Right, God is and visibly <laughs> up there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, so then we They're cut still wiping to... the manna out of the corner of their mouths. <laughs> Picking their teeth with quail bones. But uh, the... Um, <laughs> I'm full of quail, thank you. But, oh, uh, no, stop. Wh- I can't have any more manna. I am stuffed. But let's let's make an idol. So, because I'm not quite sure God's for us. But anyway, um, then it pans up to the top of Mount Sinai, and the Lord says to Moses, "Get down! I'm going to kill all of those people. Like... <laughs> Because we're gonna, I'm gonna say something about who God actually is um, when we get to the gospel reading. But for for the sake of right now, God is not. Keep the us be in tr- suspense until then. Exactly. Keep tuning in. But uh, um, God's not to be trifled with, and He's basically like, I am going to eviscerate these folks. Like we have a covenant agreement, and you know, and this is the thing that people don't understand is that God is the God, sovereign Lord of the universe. This is something that a lot of folks in the mainline church have lost. He's not simply your buddy. He is like, he is Yahweh. He is the Lord of the universe, and you are a creature and his subject. And right. uh, this, is, this, is what we're, this is what we're dealing with here. And he says, you know, I have seen this people and how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And here's the kicker, and of you I will make a great nation. So people are like, oh, well, he's going to destroy Israel? What, what's going on with that? Well, even in the destruction of everybody there, 
by starting over with Moses, God in his wrath is still faithful to the covenants he's made. He is the one who's still faithful, even in his, he is justified in his wrath because he's faithful to the promise he made to Abraham in that moment. And so, you know, the, the, the promise that I will out of you make a great nation. So he's going to do it all over with Moses and it's faithful. And yeah. so uh, this is a powerful thing, but these people have transgressed a covenant. Yeah, and I think, you know, so a couple of things just to point out to people they may have not never thought of. Why a calf? Well, it was really common uh, to have uh, big, strong animals be the representation of your deity. Uh, and so the bull was a really common one. This one, they sort of a, obviously a smaller version of that. Mm -hmm. But And I think the other thing, too, to point out is that they thought they were doing God a favor here. They thought they were, um, I mean, because it says, Aaron says, I mean, their, their religious leader stands up and says, tomorrow is a festival to the Lord. And you can tell in your Bible, then it writes Lord in all caps. That's an English translation of the word he, Yahweh. So they're actually thinking we're going to worship Yahweh with sacrificing, like we're giving God all these sacrifices and, uh, and burnt offerings and all that sort of stuff. So it just... For us, it's like, well, what's the problem? You know, they made this statue, but they were worshiping Yahweh. And it's just good to remember the otherness of God. And the reason for this commandment is to make us remember that God is not something that we can toy with. God is not something that we can make him do what we want him to do. We don't get to decide the way we worship God and serve God. Because if that were usually what ends up happening is you end up making yourself the, the rule maker and you end up making, you kind of appoint yourself the king, uh, your little god that you follow. Right. And again, that's, that's uh, there's a lot going on here I think that we could take to heart. Anytime you think that, I mean, so for example, the scriptures say, do not give up meeting together, but make sure, and you know, make sure you're coming together for the Lord's Supper, uh, all these sorts of things. And yet you and I always hear people say, Jake, you know, the golf course is my church on Sunday morning, or I feel the Lord in nature, which I get. And listeners, if you love golfing or whatever it is you love, uh, I always, I never, I never hear people say that about like washing dishes. But, um, <laughs> uh, and they actually never say that about like hard sports. They always say it about yeah, golf, yeah. which involves just sitting in a car driving around. Um, but you know, you don't get to make the rules. That's sort of the thing here. Mm. Uh, that's the attitude here. Worshiping God involves some things that have been pretty clearly said. Now, when you preach a passage like this, uh, you always want to remember that you got to get to you got to get to Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. So, as I've once heard, if you can preach a sermon in a synagogue and no one's turned off, you didn't preach a Christian sermon. So you got to get to Jesus here. And so what we see happening here is, is that Moses begins to intercede on behalf of his people. So the lawgiver, Moses the lawgiver, is now interceding on behalf of his people. And it's very important. He's like, you know, why would you do this? Why would you bring them out to kill them? And uh, here's the, that's not changing God's mind at all. And we'll talk about that in just a second. That's not the kicker. What Moses appeals to here is very important. He doesn't appeal to his covenant, the one, you know, remember our covenant, God, our two-way street. No, he appeals to the one-way covenant. You remember the one where Abraham fell into a deep sleep and all those animals were cut in half and God walked between them in a fire pot? He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the covenant that is established by faith Abraham believed God and it was credited as righteousness. So he appeals to that 
mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants. So it is in the appealing to that. And so on this, this is a temporary moment because as we know, none of these folks eventually make it into the promised land. Yep. But um, except for Joshua, son of Nun. And um, who's the other one? Um, uh, you Gomer know, listener. Kyle. No, but anyway, only two of them make it Jesse in. Ventura. Um, stop, you're making it worse. So okay. anyway, but uh, he, um, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, oh, Caleb, Caleb. That's what I would have named my son. But anyway, um, he, uh, he appeals to that. But here, jo- Moses, I digress. Moses as the lawgiver points us to Jesus, the law fulfiller, mm. who intercedes on our behalf and in his intercession on our behalf. Sinners who are always quick to judge, who are always wanting to worship God in our own way. Um, it is in that that, uh, as John says, God is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. So he's faithful to his one-way covenants. And he's also justified completely in declaring you not just not guilty, but completely and totally innocent. And so in this is how it happens. Now, what what's the idea about changing God's mind here? What's that all mean, Aaron? What do you think? Yes. And well, I have my heresy. Uh, I have my heresy radar right out. Doo, doo, yep. Doo. He's, it looks like a looks like a Geiger counter mounted on a Bible. Uh, the um, this passage presents what's at the, the cool end of liturgical here, name for that? So, but anyway, I'm just kidding. So it's called the Constitution and Canons of the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Um, we have here this weird encounter where it's it it actually is written as if Moses is kind of negotiating with God, that God is all in a huff, and he's going to wipe out the Egyptian, the Israelites, and Moses makes two arguments with him, saying, you know, one, this will be embarrassing for you, because you just went through all the trouble to save these people, and now all the Egyptians are going to laugh at you, because you bring these people out, and then you squash them. And then the other thing he says is, just remember, you made this promise. Remember that thing you said to Abraham, and you made a covenant, and you walked with, remember? And so, it's kind of this two-pronged attack, and God is like, oh, you're right, good points, uh, I've changed my mind, I relent. That's how it's written on his face, and it seems to present this picture of God that is problematic, like, he's hot-tempered, he's not in control of his emotions, and he can be persuaded. Um, it's like me, and, so anyway. Yeah, and it's, so it's a very anthropomorphic picture of God, and, and again, the idea that God would change his mind is just very odd. It, it makes it sound like God doesn't know the future, like he's just making it up as he goes, and like now, actually, okay, plan B. So this is, you know, if you want to get into this in your sermon, I don't, I don't know how much time no. you have to explain this sort of stuff, but if your parishioners ask, or maybe you're just curious, listener, this is the author of the text writing as someone about how it is to experience a relationship with God in our normal time. This is what it feels like to pray uh, when it looks like things are going south. It does sometimes feel like God has changed his mind. Yes, that's uh, right. Like when someone gets sick and you pray, and we do see healing sometimes. Does that mean God changed his mind or you were in a really desperate situation in a relationship and you prayed about it and the, the person, uh, you know, moved to Alaska and now problem solved? Uh, did God change his mind? This 
passage is describing what it feels like as a human being to be in a relationship with God. Right. It's not a description of what it is like from the divine perspective where God is always in the eternal now. God is present in all times and all space and all places and that Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. God already has the plan all mapped out. He God lives in the eternal Amen. now. It gets unfolded for us in chronological time and this is often how it feels. So that's kind of a little note on biblical interpretation with yeah. passages like this where it seems like God is too anthropomorphic. Right. That's good. You never interpret the the, the majors through the minors. Um, That's right. And so, but uh, now we come to Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter four, verses one through nine. And I really love it whenever St. Paul quotes the prayer book. So, ah. um, <laughs> St. Paul, an Episcopalian. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, the thing at the end here where he's like, uh, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds. That's often said at the end of uh, our communion services. I do have an, uh, a real story about that. So um, uh, shout out to Nancy Hanna, my colleague. Uh, but when she uh, was uh, a younger woman and uh, was dating her uh, future husband, Allie, who was... Um, uh, uh, just an incredible person too. But when they were first dating, you know, she was really going through an issue and he was like, so how come you have such so much peace? And she was like, well, you know, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And, uh, 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 Allie was like, Oh, St. Paul. And she was like, no, no, the prayer book. And so, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, so that is a funny, uh, funny story. So, um, and that was her beginning to read the Bible. And so, there you um, go. So, but, um, there we go. But so here we are in Philippians. And uh, anything you want to say on that, Darren? Yeah, we definitely... Because I would so Paul, skip it. So. <laughs> Paul's <laughs> wrapping up this letter. And so he's, as he does in all his letters when he ends it, he's got some things. He just kind of like bullet point grocery list. Let's hit this, 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 this like say hi to people and greet people and oh, this thing. And so he he is aware of church conflict. There's two women, his co-workers in the ministry of the gospel. So it's cool in the New Testament that it elevates the role of women mm -hmm. in a way that would have been very countercultural in the first century. But apparently two of these women, Euodia and Syntyche, are having an argument. We don't know mm -hmm. what it's about. Well, it's Could a be... disagreement over uh, COVID procedures. So, but um, anyway. yeah, and what should be the you know what the usher should do in the narthex with the oblations. Uh, or whatever, just going back to our Episcopal terminology. Some sort of church fight is going on, or maybe it's a personal fight. We don't know. But Who gets to bring so... up the cruets? <laughs> <laughs> no, I said to get the flagon. <laughs> this purificator is filthy. Anyways, so... <laughs> Syntyche wasn't doing a good job washing the purificators, and Euodia is ticked. And so they're fighting, they're having some big conflict. Uh-huh. And so Paul just says, be of the same mind. Uh, we're really milking this. <laughs> We've gotten off topic. But the point is here, I think it's interesting to note that even in the first century, in the early church, there was conflict in the church. And so Paul is saying, on the again, on the basis of the Lord, be of the same mind in the Lord, which means to say, you know, you don't always agree, but our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have this, you know, deep uh, bond, that's that should be the basis of it. So it doesn't mean that everybody in church has to agree with everything mm -hmm. all the time, but mm -hmm. there is a bigger thing here, which is the, that we are uh, one in Christ. And so he goes on to say, rejoice, gentleness, the Lord is near, a, a great memory verse, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and, and, the, and that's, all that stuff. 
And that's key too, right there. If you're going to preach on this, um, you know, do not worry about. You can't just tell people don't worry about anything. Are you kidding me? Just you stop. Know, um, just stop. You know, but just keep praying harder. Praying harder with Thanksgiving. Let all your, you know, no. The key thing there is is that the Lord is near. Um, you know what I mean? And that is the in, the word of encouragement. Is that in despite in the midst of even a conflict, rejoice. Rejoice, because why? Uh, the Lord is near, and so the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. That's that is what's important. Yes, and then you know, ending with this famous passage: whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. Think about these things. It, it, he, this is his way of saying only listen to Kenny G. That's really mm. what this passage is. Exactly. Is all I'm glad about. you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean this is this is. Uh, you know, he's talking about the mind of the Christian, That's and right. he does in the verse right before this say that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. A guard is only needed if there's some sort of security risk, some sort of threat, and there is always mm. a threat from the devil, from the Yourself. changes and chances of this life, from your own internal voices, all those things. And so you have God guarding you, And but Paul gives this beautiful description of um, what the mind of the Christian is to look like, which is to focus on these things. Um, and uh, this is not some like spell of like if you have a mantra or something, or sometimes people think this means like just memorize Bible verses and repeat them to yourself and that'll save you from all problems. Uh, and that is not what this means. Um, and ultimately what this actually is, is a call to think about Christ because Amen. Jesus is the truth. So when it says, whatever is true... Well, that's Jesus. Whatever is honorable, what is more Jesus. honorable than Jesus? Whatever is, yeah. I mean, this is basically saying, look at all things as gifts from Christ, <laughs> ultimately pointing back to Him, and that's where you need to keep your mind. And so, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What is that like? A long that, list of Christian activities? No, no, that is keeping close to the gospel. That's right. Receiving, going, and receiving the sacraments. It's basically <laughs> saying, remember that you are a a, a sinner saved by grace loved profoundly by God. Keep Mm. your mind on that, keep your heart on that, and that is the source, the foundation, the root of everything in the Christian life. That's what he's saying. That's right. That's good. No Kenny G. No Kenny G. Mm. All right. I mean, that's fine if you want to, but... And then finally, uh, well, this is a good one, and so now Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, and uh, we have this amazing parable, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you who I think God actually is, but... uh, um, uh, we have this parable where um, basically a king, and when you read that, that's not you, that's the good Lord. Uh, he sends out, he's got a wedding banquet, a.k.a. the end of time, and um, he is sending out invitations to everybody, and uh, the party's going to be hopping. There's going to be a fatted calf, a Sunday bar, a chocolate fountain um, with all the frozen strawberries you can have, and, um, and everything's ready. And there's going to be like one of those 90s ska bands and it's oh, like going to be a swing kind of hell dance party. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be lit as the kids say. So but uh but uh, and so and then he he inv- invites uh, you know respectable folks. He invites uh you know one went to his but they don't come, do they? They go one goes to back to his farm, another to his business. The rest uh, seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. I mean good god, who the fo- who the hell did this guy invite? And so, um, but, um, you know, uh, he basically, um, he invites a lot of people who don't show up. And then his response is pretty 
uh, over the top. It's uh, yeah, it is. So it is the response of a uh, a suzerain Near Eastern king. That's who the god is. He is a gracious Near Eastern um, <laughs> BC king. Just picture a giant beard. That's what I picture. A lot of ringlets hat, in the beard. You yeah. bet. And um, I mean. This is it. And a lot of people think about an invitation from God as um, kind of like a Facebook invitation. And this is another place where like people think about free will. Well, he issues an invitation. But yeah, but it's not like a, an invitation to your kids, your your son's three-year-old friend's birthday party. Like maybe we'll pencil it in. Dude, an invitation from a suzerain king, there's no choice in the matter. If you were invited to a party, you went or you died. Like yeah, those, it's a summons. Those, that's that's what this is. This is a summons. You show up or I kill you. That's how like that's how it is. It's a subpoena for my birthday party. Uh, but worse than that here, because here we yeah. won't necessarily kill you. We'll give you six weeks notice and then we'll send you a fine. He comes and he burns your everything. So I mean it says he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. And then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready. And, um, and let, let me Jake back up one second here just to say that uh, this sounds violent and harsh to us, and it certainly is. But again, in Jesus's context, like this is what a normal king did. And yeah. Jesus, you know, just when he uses illustrations, when he talks <clears throat> about a mustard seed becoming a tree, he's talking about what a mustard tree looks like. If he talks but I, about, I think, but yeah. I think for the seriousness of the, you have to convey that because I think most of your listeners, most of your parishioners have uh, God your Facebook buddy in mind when they think about an invitation. And you need to like, I mean, I think part of the punch of this parable is to understand uh, that uh, the king invitation in Jesus's day, not a Facebook invitation, but a like not a wedding invitation like today where like, "Ah, I can't really make it. This is serious business. This is the end of the age. This is apocalyptic. So, um, so anyway, so, but, so he destroys everything and then he goes ahead and, uh, invites, uh, some other folks. And this is where the grace really comes in here mm-hmm. that, um, and shows the upside down word of the world of the gospel, the world that Jesus talks about, the kingdom of God, the people who are the overachievers, the, the holy rollers, the churchgoers, the pillars of the community are all too busy for God. But the riffraff, the folks uh, hanging out at the tattoo parlor and under the bridge, those are the folks that make it in. The, mm-hmm. the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. I mean, and it's just indiscriminate. The slaves go into the street and just gather everybody they find. And this is the key line, man. If I oh, for the for the thing. record, the slaves are you. The slaves are the preachers. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And uh, uh, he says, invite. They they gathered all whom they found, <laughs> both good and bad. Amen. Meaning, there's this is not American Idol where you pick the best, mm-hmm. or who we might think is the best. This is not high school gymnasium where you're playing dodgeball and you're going to pick the people who are the most vicious and strong and have the best aim. This is the good and the bad. Everybody comes in, and this is this is demonstrating, and this is where the passage begins to really diverge from mm-hmm. that first century kind of ancient Near Eastern king, uh, where. It's the honorable and the dishonorable. It's the That's good and right. bad. Everybody comes into this party. And the and the passage has gone, Jesus has gone to great pains for us to know that this is a really killer party. Fat calves have been slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Oxen have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Cardi like, B. Is, Cardi B has arrived. She's warming up in the in the green room. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Megan the Stallion's opening up for her. It's just going to be amazing, this party. So 
then the king comes in. You know, he's mingling. Yes. He's mingling and, uh, you know, high-fiving and tatering everybody. And so, you know, <laughs> and uh, thanks for showing up. And, um, and then he sees somebody who's not dressed properly. This is another thing that you need to understand about that context. When you were invited to a king's wedding um, feast, and even today in certain Bedouin communities, um, and uh, in certain places in, in the Near East, even today, still, if you're invited to the wedding, you're given the clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, you are given the clothes to wear. and um, you which, know, is, so. which makes sense, because who has, like for this king's wedding feast, who would have the appropriate attire for... <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. these are like they just pick people off of like this, the ditches and the gutters and the under the bridges. So, and, and he wants everybody looking good. So, yep. um, so, um, and so he's cruising around and everybody's looking awesome. But all of a sudden, there is a guy, and they're all wearing, you know, uh, top of the line J Press, whatever, you know, um, you know, Armani suits. Maybe if you're in Texas, and uh, and there they are, and. Um, and he sees this guy in like basically shorts and a tank top or, you know, and he's like, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? Here's mm-hmm. the question. And he was speechless because uh, to stand before a king, this is a word of judgment. You know, they, this isn't like, hey, man, how'd you get in? This is this is a this is a, like when God goes, where are you in the garden? You know what I mean? This is like, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? Um, and the guy's speechless. And, uh, well, they do what Near Eastern kings do, tossed him out. So, Boink. so the, uh, the, the thing here, again, is to remember that the picture of the king here is somebody who's thrown the doors open wide, and everybody who comes in this wide front entrance gets a goodie bag filled with all kinds of the latest, greatest gadgets, and they get an incredible designer suit or dress or whatever, and um can i say that, that yeah go ahead well that that designer suit and dress is because if this isn't a parable of the end of the age that the the king's garments right. are the righteousness of his son jesus that's what this is everybody in there the good and the bad yeah. are clothed in jesus they are in that wedding banquet on god's terms this man came in or this person uh, came because it could have been a woman, could have been so anybody. But uh, this person came in on their own terms. Yeah, it's like they saying, "I don't want to come in through the front door and be greeted by somebody who loves me and given a new outfit. I'd l- I want to come in through the catering entrance and just keep on my jams and my uh, Milli Vanilli uh, tank top, and uh, and just you know whatever. I want to be here on my own merits, and uh, that's not how it works. And it's just it's an incredibly uh, powerful picture of the ridiculousness of a human being that wants to sort of stand before God and be judged on their own merits, because anybody who does that is going to have the same fate. But the gracious, loving heart of God is one that gives everybody the clothes that they need to be in the wedding banquet. This is not a God who like made it hard to get the clothes or made the door small mm. and difficult to find. This is a picture of an incredibly <laughs> gracious God, and yet in light of that, doesn't want to stay. And I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's parable, The Great Divorce, where all these people who live in basically hell are brought to heaven in a bus, and they're given the chance to like see whether they want to stay because God's graciousness is so big. He still wants to give them a chance. And they're like, oh, we don't like it. Like the grass is spiky and the water's too fresh. And, you know, we'd, and they, they, so it's kind of that attitude. 
Absolutely, and uh, and I love how he wraps it up describing Episcopalians. For many are called, uh-huh. but few are frozen, and so uh-huh. um, the frozen chosen. But anyway, um, it is um, it is it is a call that goes out to the whole world, but only um, those who know their need by His grace um, uh, respond. And um, you know, everyone else is too busy doing their own thing. And so, but um, that's not how you want to end. You want to end on the fact that uh, tell your people they have been chosen. Uh, look to the yes. cross of Christ and know that you have been chosen. Uh, receive the bread and know that you've been chosen. If you're doing morning prayer, hear these words and know that you have been chosen. I used to have a Pentecostal buddy and he was like, you know, you guys are the frozen chosen. And I used to tell him all the time, many are called, but few are frozen. And, um, and just assure them that they are, they may feel frozen, but they have been chosen by God because of the graciousness of uh, his son, Jesus, um, yeah. who intercedes always on their behalf. Yeah. Remind them that they are at the party. They've been given the garments. Um, and, uh, and if they, if they spill, you know, the uh, gravy on them or little whatever. Little chocolate dribble. Little, little dribble. Yeah, it, it, you know, whatever ranch sauce is spilled, <laughs> we can keep going. Anyways, that, that you know, the, the glory and beauty of the gospel is that God is always there to kind of clean you up again Amen. And, and refresh you and restore you. And, and that's the picture we get of, of God. And it's important that you tell this parable in that way so that people don't feel it's like a... I mean, there is a warning, there's a message, but I guarantee you, like, the main idea here is that God is this gracious God, and everybody gets it, and the only people that don't get it are the ones that want to refuse the grace of God. Hallelujah. Well. All righty. That was a great well, episode. A lot of Episcopal lingo. I agree. I give us five stars Absolutely. on lingo and on if, that episode. And, it, and if you feel the same way as we do about our podcast, I want to encourage you to uh, go ahead and... Um, uh, rate us on iTunes with um, five, whatever the heck you do on iTunes or Spotify or whatever you listen to. But um, say something nice about us, won't you? <laughs> Tell uh, Yes, about Jake, too, and his fragile ego. He needs it. All right. Until next week, happy preaching, and uh, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Bye. Somebody's looking. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.